We begin with the letter A. A is for... M is for murder. E is for... Danger! And, uh... Dodge. With... Monster. Help! Love me and be... Please! Help! Yeah. Welcome to another episode of the Is For Podcast. Tonight I am your host, the very cuddly, very lovable monster. And joining with me is the also very cuddly, but not quite as lovely, Danger. Oh, hello, Danger. Oh, oh, I, uh, I'll take the cuddly, but uh, I am lovely, right? At least I try to be. I don't know. I, I have know. seen you in a Wonder Woman outfit, and you do fill it out nicely. Well, thank you. Thank you. That was my goal. So t- well, you succeed. So tonight we are discussing F is for found footage films. See, I got three Fs there. See, that's pretty pretty impressive. Now, when I say found footage films, do you know what I'm talking about? Because I thought everybody knew. But last season, me and Sarge did an episode on the Jersey Devil where I yes. brought up some found footage films. And he had not a clue what I was discussing. So are you familiar with found footage films? Um, is a found footage film like, let's say, Blair Witch or uh, VHS, you know, something that is compiled of footage that was recorded by somebody else. And the premise of the movie is it is found by somebody else. I feel like you had a Webster's Dictionary open and you read the definition. That Ab- was absolutely not. fantastic see what i use there is was not my my dictionary but my logic (laughs) we use what we like to call in the business context clues yes yes (laughs) i i learned about those in uh, i think it was third grade in reading (laughs) (laughs) but yes you are correct essentially found footage films are films that are created in such a style that they portray being realistic. They're not edited. They're not. There's no post-production. This is a tape they found in the woods, and they play it, and this is what's on it. Some of the ones that you just mentioned are some of the, the most well-known ones, but there are lots and lots of them. And I have seen several, and the reason I wanted to do this episode in particular is because when, when done correctly – I think found footage films are some of the most effective stylistically, especially in the genre of horror. But what I discovered in some of this research is, while predominantly being a horror genre, found footage films are of other genres as well. Yes, there's no reason why a found footage film has to be left to, to horror, but I feel like it probably works best in the horror And I think so, too. And I think so, too. And we'll get into why that is in in a few minutes. You mentioned earlier the Blair Witch Project. The Blair Witch Project came out in 1999. And most people consider that the first found footage, quote-unquote, found footage film ever. It's not. It's not. No. Um, I can tell you it's not. Easily the first big one. Can I guess? Easily. Can I guess? Can I guess what it is? the, The first found footage film? Well, like the first big one. Sure. Cannibal Holocaust. Okay. All right. See, that's what I always thought, too. Oh. Until I decided to do F for found footage. (laughs) The very first example of found footage film was a film from 1961 called The Connection. I have not seen it, but I have watched a trailer for it. And essentially, 
it's a little more of a mockumentary style than it is a quote-unquote found footage film. But it carries in a lot of the tropes that you would see in found footage films. I feel like it would be easier to do a a documentary style found footage than, yeah. you know, so in VHS, there were almost like produced individual short films that were compiled into a whole movie. Mm-hmm. And some of them were okay. Some of them were good. Some of them were not so good. I feel like doing the documentary style thing would be a lot easier to at least and, incorporate into a story. And you are exactly right. That is exactly how VHS, which is a, a found footage film from the, I want to say the first one came out in, oh gosh, late 2000s. I've got the dates here. They're all scattered around. But you are absolutely right. The first VHS film, which is actually really, really good. I would I've give seen, it really, really good, but okay. <laughs> well, I will say that, oh, 2012. I will say that there are, I want to say there's five segments and two or three of them are fantastic. Like, if you like this style of filmmaking, they're really, really cool. And then the other one or two are a little bit lacking. They're not quite as as up to par. Now, but, now but, forgive me, because it has been mm-hmm. a long time since I've seen any of those. Mm-hmm. And my opinion on them may change now. But from what I remember, there was one that at best was good, but not great. And now that's just... That's just me, but I'm right. So, so you are incorrect. But VHS is a it is a found footage film, but it is also an anthology film, which has a wraparound story that is like recorded as found footage, but it's kind of its own thing. VHS is a an example of a found footage film, but you have jumped far ahead of where I wanted to begin. <laughs> so if we can reel it in just a pinch, you no, know nah, not sorry, <laughs> not sorry at all. No. So back to what you said about Cannibal Holocaust. So Cannibal Holocaust came out in 1980. And for those of our astute listeners who listen to V is for video nasties, you would have heard us discuss Cannibal Holocaust a little bit. And that's what I always most people consider as the first quote unquote found footage film, even though it's not it's it's more of just a regular film with found footage slash mockumentary elements kind of put into it but that is that is considered a a um a form of found footage films but the one that i thought was really interesting is one came out in 1969 called coming apart and it stars rip torn okay who most people probably know him from dodgeball as the weird guy the weird old guy in the wheelchair yeah but he was a serious actor back in the 70s and in that time he was not and a bad I, actor at that either no, 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 no. And again, I have not seen this one, but when I saw the trailer for it, it appears to be like stationary camera. These people are in front of it and it's it's very experimental, but it seems like people are like starting to go crazy, like in front of the camera. I, I do want to go back and watch it. It looks very, very interesting. Hmm. That does sound interesting, but it also sounds very boring. Let's just be honest. It's hard to say. From the 90-second trailer, it looks really exciting, but 90 seconds does not always correlate to an hour and a half. Right. So you never really know. I mean, there was a movie that came out years ago called Cigarettes and Coffee, and it was about people literally sitting at a table, smoking cigarettes, drinking coffee. It was horseshit. (laughs) So I think the reason that I find found footage films so interesting is because – there is a level of realism to them 
that can't always be captured within a regular studio film. When you have music, when you have post-production, when you have all these extra elements, it can still be a very effective film. But when it's when it feels more authentic, when you feel like you're actually watching something you shouldn't be seeing, it's very effective. Now, we mentioned some of these other films, but the found footage genre really took on popularity in 1999 with the Blair Witch Project. Yeah. Now, do you have any recollection of... of what was going on in your brain when you heard about this movie? Did this, like, was this on Danger's Radar at all when it came out? Oh, yes. Oh, yes. So I saw the movie in 1999. I got wrapped up in just the the movie itself. Uh, and I was fascinated by the whole, you know, publicity stunt behind it with, mm-hmm. you know, actors kind of disappearing for a while to give the element of more realism behind the whole thing. But there was something that happened with the Blair Witch Project. Went to Blockbuster with a friend of mine from high school with his mom because Blockbuster was still around in 1999. God, I miss Blockbuster. Yeah. And we rented a movie. We, He and I were really into spoofs of things and whatnot. We thought they were funny and you know got a kick out of them. So we saw a movie called Oh No, The Bear Witch Project. And we were like, okay, <sighs> because we're two dumb kids. And we grabbed it. We went home and sat down with his mom and started watching it. We got about 10 minutes into it. And there were like, it was just like some guy talking to a camera in an apartment was making no sense. Well, I don't even remember what he was talking about, but it was like, whatever, I, I'm done with this. And he was like, me too. Fast forward to about six months later. And now <laughs> my friend came from a uh, affluent background. You know, his, uh, his family had the whole big TV package to go on his whole big ass TV. And we were strolling through all the shows that were on that night and we saw the Bear Witch Project and we were like, oh, cool, put it on. And it was now, mind you, I'm sitting in the living room with his mother and his father and we turned it on and it was a bunch of women dancing naked around a fire. And his mom was Ugh. like, nope, and turned it on. <laughs> Rightfully mm. so. But it was like, we had no idea what we're getting. I think it was directed by Polly Shore, which was another one, another reason why it grabbed our attention. I don't, uh, at the time, Polly Shore for me was uh, as good as it could get. But that is what I think of that. And then also, uh, he and I and a neighbor friend of his, uh, we made a, uh, like our own Blair Witch project. So, being an auditory medium, you could not see the look of pure disgust on my face as you discussed the Bear Winch project, but I am familiar with. I've never seen it. I have no desire to see it, but I am aware that it exists. Yes, but. it does exist. I know because I rented it from Blockbuster <laughs> and on his mother's account. And so his mother's account went down with Blockbuster with the Bear Witch Project <laughs> on there. So. so I remember when this first came out and I remember this was before the Internet was the Internet did exist, but it was not as easily navigable and it wasn't this plethora of knowledge that it is now. A so, plethora of access to the Bear Winch Project. <laughs> oh, God. So when this first came out, the marketing behind this was phenomenal. And I remember talking oh, yeah. to my older brothers about it and being like, is this real? And we sort of kind of got swept up in it. And I'm not saying that I didn't know it was an actual film and that like I wasn't like, you know, I'm not that naive. But I was able to suspend my disbelief a fair amount that when I first saw it, it freaked me out bad because I really did. I was like, 
I feel like I'm watching something I shouldn't be seeing. You were you allowed yourself to have fun with it, absolutely, and to experience it. And and I will say that by today's standards, just like most of the movies I like, it's pretty tame. There's not a whole lot oh. about it. Oh yeah. But when it first came out, especially being that the the whole found footage thing was a whole new thing that most people weren't familiar with, it really, really did creep you out. Like the atmosphere and and stuff was untouchable at the time. Mm -hmm. It did something that a lot of horror movies have done over time, where they took a really small production budget and maximized the story that came out of it. and. It was something that's been done before, like in Paranormal Activity and okay, and those types of movies. But go on. So I'm, I'm glad you brought that up because that's what I wanted to, to bring up. Any type of filmmaking, media in general, and especially in the horror genre, everything is reciprocal. Mm-hmm. If something becomes super, super popular, you're guaranteed to see copycats start coming out of the woodworks. You saw this real big in the 80s with the slashers. Um, you saw this uh, earlier in the 30s with the monster movies, the 50s with the sci-fi movies. But what's interesting to note here is that the Blair Witch Project did start to spawn found footage films, but it took a little while for it to take off. And I have a little bit of a theory as to why that is. To your point about the budget, the Blair Witch Project budget was $60,000. Mm-hmm. Do you know how much money that movie grossed? Uh, I'm going to guess somewhere around uh, 400 million or I know it's something ridiculous like that. That That's a little high. $248.6 million. That's what we call, ladies and gentlemen, a return. Absolutely. But here was the problem. While these guys were able to take what they had and go out in the woods and film themselves getting lost and freaked out and do a couple little set pieces, which... No spoilers, if you have not seen it, it has lost some of its luster over the years. But the last 10 or 15 minutes, like just sitting here thinking about it is giving me chills. I, okay, so you can't say no spoilers because it's outside the 10-year rule that we have. And well, if you haven't seen in it in my defense, now, the last 10 or 15 minutes are very edge of your seat and very creepy. Yeah. But there's nothing really to spoil. I mean, there's not like uh, a... You know, there's not like this huge climactic ending. It's no. just the atmosphere and the suspense in the last few minutes. Again, the first time I saw it, I still remember seeing it with my parents at home on, on VHS. It, it freaked me out bad. Actually, um, I would say like it does have a very anticlimactic ending. There's nothing that really happens, but it's almost like the climax of the film is the ultimate feeling of dread in that movie. It's just I, it's just an ultimate feeling like the, the ball in your chest has gotten so damn tight that it's just it's almost about to burst. It's one of those things and again, if you've never seen it and you watch it now, you're going to think we're full of shit, but in 1999, it, oh my god, when it first came out, the first time I saw it, I can still remember, like I can see my living room and can see that final scene and feel the way I felt. And it was not great. Uh, it, it was really effective. Now, like we were saying, as far as copycats and stuff like that, it took a little while for the technology to catch up to being able to do these sorts of things on a regular basis. 2007 is a significant year 
Do you know why? No, but I bet you're going to tell me. I absolutely am. I'm not saying this is a one-to-one correlation, but 2007 is the year that the iPhone was introduced. Ah. 2007 is also the year that Paranormal Activity was released. Okay, which Paranormal Paranormal Activity, I think, is mislabeled as a found footage film. It should be a found CCTV film because so much much of it is like, you know, surveillance. So with any good genre... There's always subgenres that you yeah. can nitpick into, yeah. and we will get to some of that here in a second. I I consider Paranormal Activity a found footage film, but very similar to the Blair Witch Project situation. Do you know what the budget was for the first Paranormal Activity? Oh, I know it was even cheaper than Blair Witch, wasn't it? Yes, yeah. it's something like it was only like fifteen. Thousand or something? Yep. Yeah. It was 15000 Okay. And, and this is, I haven't looked any of this up in a long time. No, no, no. I do not have it up in front of me. The budget for the first paranormal activity was $15,000, and it grossed $193.4 million. And that is a return. That is a humongous return. And that um, explains why they had so many damn sequels. They have done altogether seven. Paranormal yeah. Activity films. Um, varying degrees of success. I feel like there are a few in the middle there that are pretty good. Number three is actually pretty cool. Even more so what you just said about the CRTV kind of vibe. The uh, the interesting thing about the Paranormal Activity movies, and, and number three in particular, I bring up three because I saw the first four in theaters. And I will say Paranormal Activity loses a lot of its effect when you see it on a small screen. I believe it. But when you're in the theater and you got the big screen and you're in the dark, it is very effective. Yeah, and there are of- some movies that have to be seen on the big screen to get the right feeling. With that being said, I've got another example of this. But the cool thing about the Paranormal Activity films with the CRTV, like the security camera style, is they have a way of holding on these shots real long mm-hmm. when nothing's happening. Right. But it's very subtle, and then it hits you with this bombastic, boom, jump scare. Right. And it's cheap, and it's stupid, and God, is it effective. Oh, yeah. I think that was... I never really liked the Paranormal Activity movies. And I think that's why, because as you and I have talked about in the past, a major thing for horror movies to do is to create the atmosphere and yes it created the atmosphere of fear purely out of nothing and jump scares because you were always waiting for the jump scare now i will say i've gotten fairly good in my old age at seeing where a jump scare is about to come it's just something i've seen enough uh horror movies and things it's just something that i'm I'm able to do like for instance and what something that actually threw me off was we watched the newest scream the other night and there were so many places where there was supposed to be a jump scare where it has been in every other movie and they do a really good job of playing with that whole thing in that movie and i appreciated that there was yeah. one jump scare that got me the rest of them i kind of saw coming paranormal activity it the, the thing about that one was it was hard to predict where they were because they would just be nothing for so long. And then bam, suddenly it would be there. And yeah. I got tired of waiting in that movie. It just, it was a lot of holding on and just being patient. And I don't mm-hmm. want to watch a movie to be patient. 
No, and I understand that. And it's interesting because I still distinctly remember watching it. And for anybody that's kind of new to the podcast, I've I've brought my dad up a few times. But my dad is part of the reason I – he's a lovely man. And part of the reason I'm such a big horror fan is because he liked a lot of horror when when he was growing up too. And he introduced me to a lot of this. And I remember being so excited to tell him, you got to see Paranormal Activity. you got to see it. And he rented it when it first came out, watched it in his living room on a normal sized TV with the lights on and was like, nope, this is boring. There's nothing scary about it. I will and, say that even if you're going to watch yeah. a horror movie at home, in order to get the full effect, you have to watch it at night and the dark. I have, I cannot remember the last time I watched a movie without my headphones on. Hmm. And I, I highly recommend watching whether it's, if you're looking at a laptop, if you're close enough to the screen right on, but if you got a nice TV, either way, having headphones on makes such a big difference for me. I'll give it a shot. I don't think I've really ever watched a movie with headphones on. Oh. I've played plenty of games with them on, but you know. True, true. Actually, but that's one of the reasons that? why I never went back and played Resident Evil Biohazards because um, <laughs> I played it in the dark with headphones on, a room but no windows, and uh, it was it was it was a terrible choice. It was just not a good personal choice. If you would like to know more about Resident Evil 7 Biohazard, listen to our episode of R is for Resident Evil. Oh, okay. Can you change my voice in post-production to sound way cooler than that just sounded? Oh, you're editing this one, big boy. Shit. Yeah. You get to, okay. uh, you, you get to change your voice there. Moving on. <laughs> we, we've talked about the CRT um, kind of security camera style. We've talked about the found footage, shaky cam thing. But all these things have one thing in common. They're low budget. They're very simple. They're the kind of thing that most people could go out in their backyard and do and kind of have a semblance of a decent film. Yeah. 2008, something happened that kind of showed where the found footage film could actually go. And that was a little film by the name of Cloverfield. Oh, yeah. This movie blew my friggin' mind. Wasn't that a J.J. Abrams? It was. It was a bad robot film. Yeah. And I remember actually, <laughs> I actually went to the theater and saw it. Now, I did not see Blair Witch in theaters. I was too young, but I did see Paranormal Activity in theaters. And yeah, it does have some handheld camera stuff, but it is more, like you said, security camera stuff. Cloverfield is like 99.8% holding a camera, shaky cam, whatever. Oh, yeah. I had, I had a slight headache when I went in to see that movie. I know by the of time, two people that vomited after they left. So. By the time it was over, I was like staggering and my head was pounding and I felt like shit. Yeah. But that is one I have gone back and revisited. I don't know. I've probably seen the first Cloverfield film five, six times. I think it's fantastic. I have seen it just to see it, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't say I've seen it five, six times. I think I've seen it like once. Um, I did watch Cloverfield Lane a few times, which is less found footage, of course, but yeah, I did watch so, that one. And not to get off on a super major tangent, but the Cloverfield series of films is a whole other thing that mm-hmm. could be fun to discuss sometime, because 10 Cloverfield Lane and the Cloverfield Paradox, I think right. is what it's called, yes. were both films that had Nothing, nothing to do with Cloverfield, but they put the name on there to make people go see it. I think both of those films are really, really good. 
and did not need to put Cloverfield and shovel that crap in there. They should have just left it out and just made it their own thing. On both of those movies, the only connection to the rest of it is the very end. Exactly. Exactly. And it felt even... I remember, like, when you put the word Cloverfield in the title of your film, there are certain expectations people are waiting for. And I think that cheapened how good those other two movies were. Okay, so I will do a Cloverfield episode, and you heard it here (laughs) first, ladies and gentlemen. Um, And we will break down Cloverfield because I've got quite a bit to say about that. Okay, good, good. So we'll move on for now. We'll move on for now. You mentioned that you feel like there's a little bit of a distinction between found footage and then like security camera CRTV films. Yes. I present to you a little film from 2015 called Unfriended. Are you familiar with this one? Was Unfriended the one that was about the dad trying to find his daughter and going through her social media stuff? It had um, Okay. Uh, what's his name from Harold Kumar? Yeah, yeah. Okay, so that's a that's a sore spot for us horror nerds. Um, you brought it up. You... That is a film called Searching. Oh, okay. And Searching is a film that I I have not full disclosure I have not seen. Me uh, from what I understand, it is exactly what you said. It is Harold from Harold Kumar going through John Cho. Um, I believe so. Um, going through as his daughter's social media to try to find her. Unfriended, though, is a film that takes place entirely through the screen of a laptop. Okay. It, it takes place entirely through Skype and Facebook and iTunes, and that's that's all you see the entire film. Okay, so I it would scared the shit out of me the first time I saw it. So I would sit down on my computer to watch this movie and still feel like I'm just doing things on my computer? Yes. I would highly recommend watching this on your laptop. Now, I watched it on my my nice-size HDTV and had a blast, but I feel like watching it on your actual laptop might be the best way to do it. This movie is so simple, but so effective. So I can't tell you anytime somebody has told me to watch something on like a a step back in something less than the best quality i did have an album once that said this album is meant to be listened to in a car with the windows down going 70 miles an hour with three blown speakers (laughs) but yeah i i can't think of any time that somebody said hey the tv you have that's really good don't use that (laughs) use something worse this I watched this movie on a 75-inch flat screen with my headphones on and had a blast. But the entire film takes place through the interface of Skype and iTunes and all of that. And I feel like it would would totally work trying to watch it on your laptop. It is so good. It's cheesy. The acting is not perfect. But it is so unique and interesting. I highly, highly recommend it. And... Similar to some of these other films, budget of $1 million, it grows $62.9 million. And that was unfriended. Unfriended. Part of the reason that it did not have a huge return is because it was released August 11th, 2015, but kind of a limited theatrical run. It didn't stay in theaters very long. It started to develop a bit of a cult following in 2017 when it was released to Netflix. Okay, so I... I just made a decision. 
that I hear you that that is a good movie and you had a lot of fun with it. And that was a movie called Unfriended. Yes. Just to make you mad, I'm going to go watch Searching. Now, I'm not going to say Searching is a bad movie, but from what I understand... I'm not going to watch Unfriended. I'm going to watch Searching and call it Unfriended the entire time. And then I'm going to report back to you that I watched Unfriended and then tell you all about Searching. Well, let me just say that Unfriended is exactly what's going to happen if you pull that kind of shit. All right. I mean, you know, if it takes that little, okay. Oh, I am very petty. It Uh, it takes even less than that. Unfriended did have a sequel called Unfriended Dark Web, which for some reason has a higher rating on IMDb. Both of them are very cool and very unique. They're Again, they're not perfect. They're a little bit wacky, but I highly recommend them, especially the first one. God, I had so much fun with the first one. And if you like that style, if you like that through the webcam, through the interface of your laptop kind of style, in 2020, Shudder released one called Host, Mm -hmm. which is a little tricky to sometimes track down because there's so many films called Host or The Host. There's a lot of really good ones. But this movie's only like an hour long, but it is very good. Yeah. I don't see any reason why a shorter movie can't be good. The whole film takes place through a Zoom call. Essentially, it is a group of people having a a Zoom seance, basically. (laughs) And did they and did they like arrange the, the the cubes in oh my pentagram? God. They they did not, and I feel like if there's ever a host too, they would be remiss not to. I feel like that's a missed opportunity. Oh, absolutely, agree, agree. But that one is another really good example. Again, if you want to get real, you know, if you want to get in the weeds about it, if you want to call a a Zoom call horror film found footage or not, that's that's whatever. But I think that this is sort of a new way to make a film that feels very authentic. The the found footage, yes, I think it does give, you know, the more authentic feel. I think it's also a cheap way to do it, cheap as in budget. You know, yes. if it's used, you know, correctly, any any movie making technique or any real technique of any kind, if it's used in a clever way, it can have a wonderful or disastrous outcome. Now, um, okay. Go on. You sound like you I was have gonna say, to say yes. So, with that being said, let me give you a couple examples of it done horribly wrong. One of the first found footage films that I was really excited about, and it totally like it broke my heart, was George Romero's Twilight of the Dead. That was a terrible movie. Oh my god! Because here's the thing: there is a film from 2007 called Wreck. Which no is idea. a it's it's a Spanish zombie film that was later brought to America under the title Quarantine. Okay, yeah, really cool found footage zombie film that takes place in an apartment complex, and it's very claustrophobic and it's very well done. Both the original and and the remake. Quarantine came out the very next year in two thousand and eight, and it was it was really well done. But Diary of the Dead came out the same year, two thousand and eight, and it is so bad. Like yeah, there's nothing, there's nothing about it that makes you feel like it is a found footage film. It feels like a regular movie with really shitty camera work and terrible special effects. And it, it hurts my heart to say that because you've heard me swoon over George Romero and other podcasts. It's uh, it's a man love on a deep level. It is. It is. I love that man, but I can admit when he does some stinkers for sure. Yeah. 
every good musician put out some bad music. Every good mm-hmm. uh, filmmaker put out a bad movie. Tarantino put out uh, Jackie Brown. Mm, uh, yeah. Metallica put out everything after Lord. Oh, let no, no. Let me. Oh, I could. Oh, we'll come back to that one. Um, no, no, we won't. No. Oh, yes, we will. Yeah. So we um, can't come back to correct something that's true. Oh, but it's so wrong. Uh, another interesting example is The Visit by M. Night Shyamalan, which is one that I kind of go back and forth on because similar to I Diary to of the it. Dead. I just can Similar to Diary of the Dead, it is not a true found footage film. There is a lot of post-editing, and you can feel it. All these movies have post-production and special effects added and all kinds of additional stuff done after the fact. But the whole point is for you not to notice. Diary of the Dead and The Visit are so riddled with these obvious post-production effects that it kind of ruins the atmosphere. Yeah, I try to watch The Visit. Um, I think I got, I don't know, maybe 20 minutes into it. And it was told to me as it was a found footage film. And it even watching it, it didn't feel like a found footage film. It just felt, yeah. like, the, it felt like the camera was in the room. And these people were acting in front of it. Now, again, I, br- I brought up Cloverfield, which is kind of a horror movie, but it's kind of a sci-fi movie. That's a good example of how found footage films, they are in other genres other than just straight horror. They are typically horror films. But another really good one is Neil Blomkamp's uh, District 9. Yes. I kind of fell in love with that film. I thought that was a well-made mockumentary found footage style sci-fi film. I don't know that Blomkamp has really lived up to that since that film. No, he hasn't. Chappie was a dog turd. Oh God. I, yeah. And I kind of, there's a, there's a small part of me that doesn't like to admit kind of like Die Antwoord. So I sort of wanted to like Chappie. Ah, <laughs> ah. So it should come as no surprise that I like weird music. So it it doesn't, and I have nothing against weird music. I just maybe it's because part of me feels the same, but yeah, part of me (laughs) like there's a little part of me that likes them, and there's a bigger part of me that hates them. You know, yeah. I really, I really wanted to like Chappie, and I just couldn't. And then also Elysium, I think is what it was called with Matt Damon. Damon. I couldn't get into that. I thought that was better than Chappie. Mm. Yeah. Now, Now. the the thing about District 9 is I feel like it starts as a documentary with bits of CCTV footage Mm -hmm. popped Mm -hmm. in there when he's in the bathroom and peeling off his fingernails and that kind of thing. And then I feel like it just eventually goes into movie instead of found footage. I feel like it just kind of eventually heads that way. And that and that's something I think a lot of these films do. They will implement small parts of news broadcasts and found VHS tapes and stuff. Uh, a really good example of this would be the film Sinister. Yes. Sinister is one of those movies that is just a typical Hollywood movie, and it's cool. It's it's like a kind of an insidious conjuring kind of film. Yeah. Um, a lot of those kind of came out at the same time, it seemed like. They did. They did. And it has some really effective moments. But I would say the most effective moments are when Ethan Hawke's character finds these old home movies. And it kind of stops being a film for a minute and starts being these old home movies that he's watching. Mm-hmm. And there is some like trippy shit going on in those. Right. It's uh, I, I don't fully remember all of that. For some reason, 
the sentence Ethan Hawke's character always gets me because <laughs> I still don't understand why that guy is an actor. Um, no, he's Ethan, not great. Ethan Hawke is really, really good at playing Ethan Hawke. Ethan Hawke. Yeah. You know, it's kind of like Christian Slater and uh, Kevin Costner. They all play the same damn character in every movie. Now, yeah. you know, there's a lot of actors that do that. And if you want to cast that role, then great. But do not expect to get a different Ethan Hawke in a different <laughs> movie because he's going to yeah. be the same Ethan Hawke. Uh, another example is is Project X. This is actually a comedy yeah. that is filmed using the found footage style. Right. And I've never seen this one. But I remember when it came out, people acted like it was kind of fun. I, I never saw it, though. It was not a good movie by any means. Uh, it was fun. It's one that actually starts more like a movie and uh-huh. ends. Well, I wouldn't say end. It's like it starts as a movie, kind of has found footage spliced all throughout the movie, like in the middle. Then it ends more as a movie. I wouldn't say it would be a found footage film. I feel like it's a film that used found footage in it. So uh, just a couple more that I want to touch on real quick. I know we've been kind of jumping all over the place a little bit here. Another one that is super, super effective, and I highly recommend this to anybody, is Lake Mungo. Never heard of it. So this is a mockumentary that is filmed in such a way that feels very realistic. You won't recognize any of the actors or actresses, which kind of leads lends itself to the credibility about this girl who goes missing. And when I tell you, there's a couple of scenes in there that are absolutely chilling. It's not, there's no jump scares. There's nothing that's going to jump out and really freak you out. But there are some subtle, disturbing images that will stick with you for a very long time. Now, I want to point out something that you've done, and I don't feel like I fully understand the meaning of the word, or maybe I do, and you don't. I don't know, but let's discuss Mm -hmm. the word mockumentary. I feel like there is... I feel like mockumentaries are documentary-style films that are made in a mocking way, like, for instance, Spinal Tap. So... I feel like a documentary-style film kind of mocking the documentary, but a documentary-style film is not necessarily a mockumentary documentary-style film. And that's what I kind of feel like a lot of these are. And the documentary-style film, I think, lends itself great to the found footage film. When I use the term mockumentary, I don't, it doesn't necessarily have a comedic connotation all the time. Uh, When I use the term mockumentary, I think of any film that is filmed as a documentary, but is not actually a factual documentary. Like one of my favorite documentaries is some kind of monster, the Metallica movie, where they talk about their album, St. Anger, which is not as bad as you think it is. And they've put out some decent stuff since Load. On the flip side, one of my favorite mockumentaries is Spinal Tap because it is a documentary. Yeah, it's a documentary film about a fake band that does not exist. I actually use Spinal Tap and the Stonehenge foot to inches mix up as a regular example when talking about things in trucks and how <laughs> much room they take up and shorthand. As you should. And so, I've been explaining this to people that are, I don't know, younger than 25 and they have no idea what I'm talking about. <laughs> and I say, please go watch this movie. It is wonderful. You won't be wasting your time. So when I say Lake Mungo is a mockumentary, what I mean to say is it is filmed exactly the same way some kind of monster and Spinal Tapper film. And it is about a girl going missing, 
but it is not a true story. Right. It looks like a true story. It feels like a true story, but it is not actually real. Okay. But it is done so effectively. It still send chills up my spine when I watched it. It it is very effective. And I think that's the trick to these found footage films is if you can get lost in the idea that this could potentially be real and the good ones manage to pull this off, they are, like I said earlier, some of the most effective horror films you can find. I believe it because, I mean, the documentary style movie makes you already feel like it's leaning on the side of real, even though, you know, what we really want to see is Metallica call it quits. So another really good example of a found footage film, and yes, I'm aware of what you said, but I'm going to just ignore it. Have you ever heard of Creep? Yes. Yeah. So this came out in 2004. I actually watched, I actually watched this per your recommendation a few years ah, ago. Thank you. There's a, a Mark Duplass, right? Yes. The Duplass so again, brothers. Talking about kind of leaking into other genres I don't know if I would call mumblecore its own genre, yeah. but if you ever want to see a found footage kind of scary mumblecore film, Creep and Creep 2 are really, really good. I, I never thought of mumblecore movies. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it's kind of a hard genre to describe, but it's one of those kind of genres where people tend to kind of talk over each other, yeah. and there, it's not as... It, it feels less scripted. It feels a little more like improv and, and that yeah. kind of thing. Um, and Creep and Creep 2 have that kind of vibe about them. The second one is actually really good. It's one of the few sequels that, in my opinion, it's not better, but it is every bit as good. Huh. Like, surprisingly, how good it actually is. So, basically, to kind of wrap this up, for me, being a huge horror fan, I'm always on the lookout for new things or to find old stuff I haven't seen yet. And when I dive into some of these found footage films, when they are done correctly, especially if you don't know much about them going into it, there's this certain level of, should I be watching this? What am I looking at here? I don't know any of these people. Is this is this person really being hurt? Is this is that creature really there? Like you feel like you might be watching a snuff film. Yeah, and I don't want to see a snuff film. No, me, I don't either. <laughs> oh yeah. Let me state for the record, I do not want to watch snuff films. Right. But a really well made found footage film will give you the impression that you are seeing something that you shouldn't be seeing. And I think that's really effective, specifically in the horror genre, when you're always trying to be freaked out. Once you've seen so many horror films, you start to become somewhat desensitized. So anytime you can see something that makes you feel a little bit uncomfortable or creeped out, I'm always a fan of that. Fair enough. No, I, uh, uh, the found footage film, I think, is a genre that hasn't quite been used to its full ability yet, but it takes us a long time to get to that and really any sort of niche genre, technique, anything. So, And I think when the paranormal activity films first started gaining in popularity, you saw all of these other copycat films come out the woodworks, and it sort of saturated the market and it made Absolutely. it difficult to pick out the good ones from the bad ones. Again, I bring up the, the slashers of the 70s and 80s. There were so many oh, of good them. Good God, there were. 
that it's really hard to separate the the good ones from the bad ones. Mm -hmm. But I, if if you really kind of do a little research and a little digging, you can find some really solid found footage films that'll, at least for me, really freak you out, kind of stick with you. Yep. Well, that's about all I got. Um, F for found footage films. Danger, do you have any dad jokes you want to share with us? Hmm. Are we going uh, PG dad jokes or are we going like PG-13 or R? Well, I have a dad joke that my daughter taught me that is very PG, but very funny. So if you if you would like me to go first, I can. Yeah, go for it. Okay. My, my daughter's joke is, knock, knock. Who's there? But. But who? Fart. Okay. My favorite thing she to do is, is she is three years old and she is going to make me millions. My favorite thing to do to the kids is start your joke over again. Knock knock. Come in. It completely you deflates are, the entire. You are the worst. Yes, you are the worst kind of person. Yeah. All right. Since your your dad joke was butt and fart. Yes. Mm-hmm. Butt and fart. Oh, oh, and and if you would like, I can give you uh, one of her favorite songs to sing. You ready? Sure. Old McDonald. Had a butt. E-I-E-I fart. <laughs> I like it. I she like is it. a genius. She is. She is. So, all right. What did the mythical creature serve at his barbecue? What? Unicorn on the cup. And this has been F for found footage films. Thank you, everybody. Good night. Thanks. Bye. It's over. Done. Done.